Hey folks, Andy Patton here. A little later than usual, but Mailbag Monday rolls on. Plenty of discussion about Gonzaga's flaws and how they can be fixed. Don't go away right after this. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. I want to sincerely thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. I understand today the episode came out a few hours later than normal, so hopefully you still find time to cram it into your podcast schedule. Or for those of you who watch on YouTube, your viewing schedule, I really appreciate those of you who check this podcast out on YouTube. You can find it at Locked On Zags. Just search YouTube. You can find it on my social media accounts as well. We're looking to get to 200 subscribers. We're so close. We are so close. We are less than five people away from hitting that 200 subscriber mark. So if you listen to the show on the podcast, if you've checked it out on YouTube before, if you're watching it on YouTube right now, hit that subscribe button. I sincerely appreciate it. This is a reminder for most of you, but for any new listeners, if you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there are three ways to do so. You can tweet at me at ScoreZagScore. Whenever you are thinking of a question, I'll write it up and get it into the show. I also reach out on Twitter Sunday morning soliciting questions, and you can respond to that. I also take questions on Facebook and Instagram, which you can find by searching ScoreZagScore. And the most popular way as of recently is via email at andypatton013 at gmail.com. Email me whenever you want. Shoot it as Mailbag Monday. I will get those questions into the show. All right, we are breaking it up into three segments, as we always do here on Locked on Zags. This first segment, not the most popular topic, but one that is very important with this Gonzaga team, is turnovers. This first question comes from Christian. He says, rank and discuss the following and how you believe they impact a potential title run for the Zags. Turnovers, free throw shooting, three-point shooting, fouls, and pace of play. So, turnovers. I kind of teased it with the name of the section here, but yeah, turnovers is the biggest thing that will impact whether Gonzaga makes a title run. I know a lot of people think it's three-point shooting. I know pace of play has been discussed quite a bit. Uh, Obviously, the free throw shooting against Alabama was cause for concern, and we have seen free throw shooting impact a lot of teams' ability to advance in March, but this team's problem right now is turnovers. Doesn't mean they don't have other issues. Doesn't mean those other issues aren't going to crop up again this season. But if they do not fix the turnover margin, if they do not continue to get better at preventing turnovers on offense and turning the ball over more by their defense, they're going to run into problems. This next question. So here, I'm sorry, I I didn't rank them all. So turnovers is number one. Number two is three-point shooting. Number three is free throw shooting. Pace of play is number four. And foul trouble is number five. I don't view foul trouble as a huge issue because of Gonzaga's depth. Obviously, certain teams, if they are really good at getting Gonzaga's bigs into foul trouble, and we have Watson, who who has had some foul trouble issue in the past. If he picks up four, three or four fouls in 10 minutes, which he's done before, and Drew and Chet are having some foul trouble, it could be an issue, but I'm less concerned about that. Pace of play, obviously, something that I think can be adjusted game by game, and I don't think something that will be a significant problem for the team. And then, of course, the shooting, the three-point shooting, and the free-throw shooting. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Obviously, potential issues as well, but nothing as potentially disastrous as the turnover issue for the Zags. This next question comes from John via Gmail. He says, turnovers are a big problem for this team. Yep. He says, you would expect that since this team is young and inexperienced, 
but Timmy and Nemhart are having their own issues. What do you attribute the high turnover rate for these veterans and what can they do to improve in this area? So I, I mentioned this significantly throughout the show and I'm going to continue to mention it even though we're getting further and further along in the year. It's a really small sample size. Uh, John posted some specific numbers on how much higher the turnover rate is for Drew and Nemhart compared to last year. And that data is not insignificant, and I don't mean to belittle it because it is important, but it's also a 10-game sample. You can find 10-game stretches in Andrew Nemhart's career where his turnover rate was really, really good and really, really bad. It's not necessarily indicative of where his turnover rate will be at the end of the season, particular because Gonzaga has played 10 games and four of them have been against really, really good teams. Duke, Alabama, of course, the two losses in Texas and UCLA. Now, six of those have been against not very good teams, teams that are generally worse than most of the opponents Gonzaga will face in the WCC, so potentially things might even out a little bit. But I, if Andrew Nembhard's full season, if 20 games into the year, so we're 10 games into the year right now, 20 games into the year, if Nembhard is still turning the ball over nearly double his rate from last season, that's going to be very alarming. I'm concerned at this point. I'm not saying that we should completely brush it off. It's not a two or a three game sample size. 10 is not insignificant, but I think that it is, the numbers are a little bit skewed by Gonzaga's opponent quality up to this point in the season. And I think we will see them change. This is all similar to Drew Timmy, although Drew Timmy is a slightly different case because he's being asked to pass the ball more than he ever has before. They are running more of the high-low offense, something they have not done in his career. He never really did the high-low offense because they didn't really view Anton Watson as a player capable of, of handling that role until this season. Philip Petrusev didn't really do it all that much. So he just kind of, he hasn't had that role. I don't think he's a bad passer, but he's an inexperienced passer, I guess is the way to put it. So when he's being asked to be more of a facilitator, do more passing, we've seen some games where he's been excellent at it and it really changes the way that the teams have to guard him if he's able to pass the ball really well. But he also makes a lot of mistakes and turns the ball over a lot. Nemhard is struggling, I think is the best way to put it. He had a great game against UCLA. The rest of his season has been kind of up and down for the most part. I think he is pressing too much. He's getting too, he's trying to do too much with the basketball instead of letting the game come to him. We see him make some just errant passes a lot of the time. He also has the ball in his hands a lot. So the turnover numbers are just asked, are just higher because of that. I do think these numbers will regulate over time and hopefully that will come with the team kind of gelling a little bit more and figuring out their roles and things that just kind of haven't happened yet. But yeah, it's hard to not be concerned when the two of the most veteran players on the roster are the biggest part of the turnover issue. This next question comes from Music in a Blender on Twitter. He says, after seeing Baylor maul Villanova much the way they beat the Zags last year and Texas Tech out slugging Tennessee last week, are you confident that the Zags can handle this kind of pressure any better than before with Tech this week? Uh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, I am not. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful that we will see some changes, that the team will come up with some, some offensive, creative offensive sets that get the ball into their best players' hands earlier than they have been doing it, that they are not reliant on using the high-low offense and you know entry passes from the top of the key, which is what they have always done to get Drew Timmy the ball. I'm hopeful that they will find better ways to do that. I'm hopeful that the pick and roll, which is a big part of Andrew Nembhard's success throughout his collegiate career, and he really struggled with it against Alabama. I'm hoping that we see him improve on that area. I'm hoping we see Gonzaga's other guards show some more ability to run the pick and roll. We haven't seen Ros Bolton do it exceptionally successfully up to this point. I'm, I'm very confident Nolan Hickman is capable of doing it, but we haven't seen them do it a ton yet this year. 
And I'm hopeful that there's other things that I'm not thinking of because I'm not a coach that maybe Stephen Gentry, who kind of came to this team as a as a alleged offensive guru, that he can kind of come up with uh, ways to get Gonzaga's best players the basketball early because right now that kind of pressure that Gonzaga, that Baylor put on the Zags, that Duke put on the Zags, that Alabama put on the Zags, not quite in the same way, but in a similar way that Tarleton State put on the Zags, has they haven't proven that they can handle that. And I don't have any reason yet to believe, other than just blind optimism in a coaching staff that has been very successful for the last 20 years, I don't have a ton of specific reason to believe that they have fixed that problem. They have a week off, more than a week off, so hopefully that that is what they are attempting to address as much as possible. But as of right now, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I wouldn't go as far as to say confident. They still got some work to do in that area. This next question is another one from John via Gmail. He says, why isn't this team forcing more turnovers to its opponents? Given how electric this team is in transition, and given our length and quickness, you would think we would be much better in this area. How do you explain this, and how can we improve? Yes, uh, this I think this is a huge point, a, an excellent question from John, and a big sticking point on this team. One of the best ways that they scored early in the season is in transition. They were elite at it. They are elite at finishing around the rim. Everybody on this team, guards, centers, everybody, is very, very good at shooting from inside the three-point line. They're one of the most efficient two-point field goal percentage teams in the country, one of the most efficient they have ever been. This is an elite scoring team around the rim. And with the incredible athleticism that they have in guys like Bolton and Hickman and Nemhard and Salas and on and on and on, they should be getting out in transition a ton. When you have guys like Anton Watson and Hunter Salas who are excellent at playing the passing lanes, knocking the ball away, doing that kind of stuff, this should be a huge part of Gonzaga's offense. Their defense should be leading to more points, and lately it hasn't been. It seems like they've lost their defensive identity. They had... Early in the year, again, they were picking a lot of passes. They were playing hyper-aggressive, which is what you should do when you have length, when you have athleticism, and more importantly, when you have rim protectors. Chet Holmgren is an elite rim protector, one of the best in the country. There's a reason he's going to be a top-five pick in the NBA draft, because of his rim protection. When you have that guy down in the paint and his ability to not pick up fouls, to alter shots, even if he's not blocking them, he still alters them, you should be playing hyper-aggressive on the perimeter trying to pick off passes, getting right in guys' faces. Don't let them shoot over you. Because if they get around you, which they're going to do periodically, if you're playing super aggressive, you're going to try to go for a steal, you're going to miss it, a guy's going to backdoor cut on you, get to the rim. All that stuff's going to happen. And that's okay when you have a rim protector in the game. And, and the Gonzaga, they, they started out the season doing that. That's what we saw from them. They were aggressive. They were trying to pick a lot of passes. Chet was blocking shots left and right down in the paint. And, and Drew Timmy has improved as a rim protector. So even when Chet's not in the game, he is capable of it. He's not as good of a shot blocker as Chet, but he is a adequate to good rim protector. This is an area he has improved tremendously. His game defensively against Alabama was extraordinary. He was great in that game. And Anton Watson, he's not a huge shot blocker, but when he's in the game, if he's the big man in the game, if he's the one asked to be the rim protector, it's not great. It should be Drew or Chet. But if he's doing it, he's fine at it too. Like, they have dudes to do this. So it's very kind of baffling to me that they've played this more passive defense. They're they're keeping guys in front of them. They're trying to prevent them from getting to the rim and letting them shoot over them instead. Against Alabama, that was a very poor decision. I, one of the first comments I made after the game while leaving the stadium was it didn't seem like Gonzaga scouted the right team. And this is a sentiment I've heard from other people as well. It seems like they were willing to let them do what they're best at doing, and then that's how they beat them. 
it was a very kind of bafflingly coached game on the defensive side, and I don't know if there's something that we're missing <laughs> that happened in that game, but that is more concerning to me. The offensive turnovers, I think, will improve as this team gets more familiar with each other, as this coaching staff makes some adjustments, things like that, but the defense looked good and then got worse, and that needs to be fixed. They need to find ways to be more aggressive, to try to get those steals, to to let your rim protectors do what they're best at. Obviously, early in a game, if Chet picks up really two really quick fouls and their players are really good at playing the backdoor cuts and the, the aggression on defense isn't working, then maybe you scale it back, you find a way to alter. But you should start that way. You should start trying to do that and forcing them to make backdoor cuts, forcing them to get around you because you're harassing them on the perimeter, and then making them score over Chet Holmgren. That's what you should be doing. It's weird that they're not doing it. I hope that we see that change very soon. Next question comes from Larry via Gmail. He says, do you think the Zags can stay with, let alone beat, any good team that's popping over 40% from three? Uh, for starters, I think the Zags can stay with anybody. I don't really under, they, they don't get blown out. They got blown out one time in the last couple of years by a really good Baylor team that kind of surprised them with what they did. I don't think there's, there's no sentiment in my mind that this team's going to get blown out at all. So yes, they can stay with any team ever. A team could shoot 50% from three and they're going to stay with them. Uh, but can they beat those teams? That's not really enough context to know. 40% for a full game is great, but if it's four for 10, doesn't really matter necessarily. If it's 10 for 25, eh, that's going to be a little bit more challenging. Uh, obviously, Alabama shot really, really well against the Zags and beat them. But Alabama is not, you know, Tarleton State, no offense to that team, or Merrimack or anybody. Alabama is a top 10 team in the country who shot really well from three. And Z the Zags still made it close. They, they made a big run in the second half, got that thing to within four. So again, stay with, yes, nobody's going to blow them out. I'd be very, very surprised if that happened. The Zags would have to have an epically bad game for that to be the case. But good teams who shoot 40 plus percent from three, a... Good teams who shoot 40% from three rarely lose, period. <laughs> it's, it's hard to lose when you shoot 40% from three and you're really, really good. Uh, so yeah, there's a good chance they would beat Gonzaga in that case. I think Gonzaga's perimeter defense needs to improve. We already kind of addressed that in the previous question. I think that if they run into some hot shooting teams, they need to find ways to minimize that as best as possible, try to get out and transition more, uh, try to force more turnovers. Again, try to push guys to drive to the basket when Chet Holmgren's in the game to see if the, he can alter some shots that way. There's some things they need to do differently. I don't think that the recipe for beating the Zags is be good, shoot 40%, boom, it's over. Uh, that's not necessarily what I'm, what I'm buying into necessarily. If you make two of your first five threes, don't just stop shooting threes because you shot 40%. I know that's not what you mean with this question, but I, I don't think that that's an automatic recipe for success. I do think it makes things a lot more difficult, and I do think Gonzaga needs to improve their perimeter defense if they want to go really far in March. All right, we touched on turnovers and defense quite a bit there. Segment one coming up, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. Prize Picks is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world, and offer all the star players from not only the Power Five schools but your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code Locked On will receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100. Prize Picks allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out PrizePicks.com and use promo code Locked On, or go to your App Store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. All right. 
Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still a slightly delayed Mailbag Monday coming at you here during Gonzaga's quote-unquote bye week. Without the UW game on Sunday, they have a lengthy break before they play Texas Tech on Saturday. Lots of stuff for them to work on in the lab, in the practice facility. This next question here comes from John via Gmail. He says, I am not sure precisely what it is, but this team over the last few games does not look like the team that crushed UCLA and Texas. It seems as if Duke was the inflection point, even though we only lost that game by three points. Following that game, the team has not looked the same. Can you explain why? Is it just that Duke discovered the weakness in our offense with being much more aggressive with our guards and other teams are exploiting that weakness and we haven't solved that challenge? So yeah, that's a big part of it, obviously. And I I, want to be clear here. Duke did not discover this weakness. Baylor did. Baylor discovered this weakness. Gonzaga's guards obviously changed significantly between last year and this year with no Jalen Suggs, no Joel Eiei, no Corey Kispert. Replaced those guys with Rasir Bolton, with Julian Strother, with Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas. But the issue is still the same. Gonzaga's still running the same offense. And so Duke just said, hey, I bet that's going to work again. <laughs> and they were right. And then Tarleton State said, hey, why wouldn't that work for us? And it did. It did. It did work for them. Alabama didn't quite do the same thing. They weren't quite as aggressive and smothering right across the half-court line the way that Tarleton State and Duke and Baylor were. But they did similar stuff. And Alabama had some big physical guards, which I think just gave Gonzaga's guards trouble, even if they were playing a more traditional defensive set. I also, I mentioned this a lot in the first segment. A lot of the sec- parts of this question have already been answered. But uh, the, the less aggressiveness on defense has been a somewhat startling change that I think has impacted this team really significantly against Alabama. Against Tarleton State, their defense was okay. It wasn't a huge problem in that game. They should have forced more turn- more turnovers. They let their one player go off and just have a really great game. They didn't play poorly against Duke. They kind of got they got beat a little bit in the first half and then made a nice comeback in the second half. I know a lot of people think that has more to do with Bancaro being out. I think that Gonzaga was going to make that run regardless and, and kept that game really close. I also think a three-game set is not statistically significant enough to draw sweeping conclusions about this team. Uh, But yeah, there are some things this team needs to work on. They need to work on being more aggressive on the defensive side, something I discussed significantly in the first segment. Uh, They need to be more aggressive on offense. The guards need to be more willing to look for their shots instead of deferring constantly to Drew Timmy. Like I said, against Alabama, they ran the pick and roll. As soon as they came off the screen, there was never any intention to look for their own shot. This was particularly true of Andrew Nembhard, who came off screens and immediately tried to get the ball to Drew Timmy, even if he wasn't open, even if Nembhard himself was open, he was looking to pass every time. So they need to be more willing to to adjust offensively. They need to find better ways to get the basketball to their best players. And if they can't do that, they need to find ways to score around the basket and not settle for outside shots. Next question comes from AD206 on Twitter. He says, what are some tangible measures this team could take to improve their three-point shooting? Have the right player shoot. (laughs) Here's the deal. It's really hard for individual players to dramatically improve as shooters during the season. You can improve in the offseason, and players do. This happens all the time. But in season, your your percentage is probably not going to dramatically improve unless you significantly change the way that you like the, the shot selection is a, is a factor. But realistically, if you're an, an average three-point shooter, you're probably going to finish the season as an average three-point shooter. If you're a bad three-point shooter, you're probably going to finish as a bad three-point shooter. The Zags have a mix of good, bad, and very bad three-point shooters. Not too often the wrong players are shooting. I don't think Andrew Nembhard is a good three-point shooter. I don't think he is going to become a three-point sh- good three-point shooter. I think he will probably improve as the year goes on because he has been very bad, particularly the last few games. But I don't think... 
Gonzaga's offense is is operating its most efficiently when Andrew Nembhard is taking threes. There are opportunities. Certainly, he shouldn't. I'm not saying he should never take threes. That doesn't make sense. He's the point guard. Eventually, he's going to need to take some threes. There are situations where maybe it's a kick out from Drew Timmy. Maybe it's a swing around during a zone uh, on a zone offense or a zone defense where they swing it around to him and he's wide open because they use the soft side of the zone. Maybe it's just a, a end of the shot clock situation where he gets a decent look. There are times he needs to shoot, but he's shooting too many of them. This is true of other players. I'm not just singling him out. Rasir Bolton is a decent three-point shooter. He started out the year really hot and got people really excited about his three-point shooting. He has kind of regressed to not being a very good three-point shooter. I think he's going to finish the season average, but he shouldn't be necessarily leading the team in three-point attempts. Julian Strother, good three-point shooter. He should probably take more. Chet Holmgren hasn't quite reached the level that we expected him to do, but I think he's probably the team's second-best three-point shooter and should probably be taking a few more of them when the opportunity arises. I think that's the biggest factor, is just having the right players shoot more threes, and then also, of course, shot selection. Weirdly, against the Mer- in the Merrimack game, early in the game, I think there was three or four possessions in the first eight minutes of the game or so, where Gonzaga took contested three-pointers in the first ten seconds of the shot clock. I have to imagine Mark Few was just, his blood was boiling on the sideline because this is something that is kind of the antithesis to everything that he does as a coach. They don't take contested threes. They don't shoot early in the shot clock if they don't need to. They run their offense. They look for their shots. They try to get the ball into the paint. And it was kind of odd to see them take some of those shots. They weren't good looks. They didn't go in. You know, in that game, I believe it was Bolton, Nembhard, and Hickman combined to go 0 for 11 from 3. So taking better shots being smarter about the selection of shots that you're taking, and having the right players shoot more. I don't think that you know just taking more threes in practice is going to dramatically improve this team's three-point shooting. I, I just don't think that that's going to happen. It, doing it a ton over the offseason for months at a time will get individual players better. But doing it in season, it's just not going to happen. Guys are tired. Taking a bunch of threes for a week in practice isn't going to make them a better three-point shooting team in terms of Texas Tech. Having the right player shoot, taking better actual, making better decisions with the shot selection, that's what's going to help this team. Next question comes from John via Gmail. He says, as you have said, this is a bad three-point shooting team. He said, we may have a good game here or there, but the long-range shooting is not good. Our three-point percentage of 32.9% is the worst it has been in quite a long time. On the other hand, our two-point shooting percentage of 64.7% is the highest it has been Excuse me, in at least seven years. With that as a backdrop, we are taking 22 three-point shots per game, the highest it has been in the last seven years. If our shooting from beyond the arc is not good, then why are we taking so many threes? That is a great question, one that I have continued to wonder. The simple answer is the defense is letting us. That is the simple answer. Teams, opposing teams know this. They know that we're a bad three-point shooting team. They know that we're an elite, literally elite, two-point shooting team. And so their defensive strategy is pack it in, whether they're in zone or man. We've seen some zones. Mary Mack ran a lot of zone. We've also seen a lot of like really compact man defenses where they're just trying to bottle up Drew Timmy, bottle up Chet Holmgren, bottle up Anton Watson, and force us to shoot over their defense. And we're taking the bait a lot. It's hard to resist when you're wide open from three and the guy you want to get the ball to, Drew Timmy, is smothered and you're open, you're going to shoot. And it's not necessarily the wrong shot. I mentioned shot selection in the previous question, and sometimes it is poor. But sometimes if you're wide open and the defense has given you a shot and you're receiver Bolton or Julian Strother or whomever, those are shots you need to take. They just need to start going down. 22 threes per game is too many. That's probably higher than this team should be shooting. I think 17, 16, 17 is probably a better range. Obviously, it depends on the game. It's, they, sh- they shouldn't shoot for a certain amount <laughs> per game. That's not the way that they should be coaching this team. But 
the, the numbers are here. This is a bad three-point shooting team. It's an elite team finishing around the rim, and they're shooting more threes than ever before. That is not a good recipe for success. The offense needs to change. I think a big part of that, obviously we talked about getting the ball to Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren more. They're doing a lot offensively, and getting them the ball more is certainly not going to hurt because they're such good finishers around the rim. But also the guards need to try to get to the rim more. This is something that Andrew Nemhart is really good at, is finishing around the rim. Rasir Bolton, he came to this school with the, you know, the, the biggest selling point for him was he's great at getting to the basket and finishing around the rim. He's elite at that. He needs to do more of that. Julian Strother is shooting like less than three free throws per game. That needs to improve. He needs to get more to the rim, get contact, draw fouls, get to the free throw line. He needs to do more of that. He's a good three-point shooter, but he still needs to find better ways to get around the basket. Nolan Hickman is one of the most efficient finishers around the rim in the country. He's not doing it enough. So to answer your question, why are we taking so many threes? I, we need to do less of it. We're doing it because the defense is giving it to us, but it's not working. It hasn't worked the last couple of games. So that is something that needs to change. Is this, and I'm hoping that this is something the staff is really emphasizing. Is like, hey, just because they're giving you a three doesn't mean you have to take it. Certain situations, sure. If it's a good-looking shot and it's later in the shot clock or whatever, or you've, you've made a couple in a row and you're feeling it, yeah, maybe that's fine. But early in the shot clock, bad. Uh, if if you've got other options, you know, if you can swing the ball around and maybe get a better look, do that. We're, we're, just, we're settling for too many outside shots that we shouldn't be taking, especially because we're not making them at a very high clip. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, Last season, Aaron Cook and Anton Watson were the energizers off the bench. If the Zags had a slow start, Watson and Cook often checked in and turned up the defensive heat. This season, it is Watson and Salas. You mentioned previously that you thought Mark Few was making adjustments with the lineup now more than ever. I feel strongly that this is a good thing, but better to face challenges and make adjustments early in the season. What are your thoughts on what is very much a work in progress? Yeah, this is something that hasn't been touched on enough, obviously. Uh, it's been mentioned a few times, but Gonzaga's played four really, really good teams early in the season. Uh, four teams that are ranked in the top 10 or top 15 or so. Uh, and they're 2-2, they're two and two, which feels it feels worse than it is because they won the first two, especially, I mean, handily. Handily won the first two. And then they dropped the next two. Is is the in order that kind of makes it feel worse than it really is. I don't think too many people are going to be that upset about going two and two, especially when you see Alabama crawl all the way into the top ten, and and those other teams have all had successful seasons. So it's not the worst thing in the world. And and for us, a, a team that's so inexperienced playing together, I hesitate to call them young because a lot of people really like to call this team young, and they're not that young. They're really not. Andrew Nembhard, Anton Watson, Drew Timmy, Rasier Bolton play are four of the biggest minutes per game guys on this team, and they're all juniors or higher. So they, they don't have a ton of youth. Obviously, Chet Holmgren's young. Julian Strother's a sophomore. He didn't play a lot as a freshman. So those guys are young. Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, freshman as well. But I think that they, they haven't played together all of that much. Obviously, Bolton new to the team, so that's that's a factor there. But I think that getting these really good teams kind of out of the way early allows the team to say, okay, they exploited our weaknesses, weaknesses that maybe we didn't think were as significant as as it turns out that they are. So now we need to make adjustments. We need to figure out how to change that. Mark View is doing a lot more adjusting to his lineups than I've ever seen him do before. I'd like to see him play some more of those small ball lineups. I've mentioned that before with Julian Strother playing the four and one of the three bigs playing the five, and then you have three guards on the floor at the time. At the same time, I think they could really do some damage with that. I think we'll see more of that in conference play as we play some teams that don't have as much size and we can kind of get away with Julian playing that small ball four role. But I'm happy to see Mark Few doing this. I think he's still figuring it out as well. Tommy, I think, did a lot 
of the substituting on this team, and he's obviously having a really successful season over at Arizona right now. So I think that that's few making some adjustments, figuring out what he wants to do, him still adjusting to his team, them still adjusting to him as the coach. Uh, I think they're going to kind of iron it out by the time conference play rolls around, but I'm, I'm okay with them having these four really tough games, five when you count Texas Tech early in the season. Next question, another one from Christian. He says, I will admit I miss Aaron Cook, but no, there would be no place for him in the guard room. It is strange to ask who takes over Aaron Cook's role given the increased individual and collective guard talent. We know it is Drew Timmy's team, but when looking at the roster for complementary energies, who could be Robin to Timmy's Batman? So I think Nolan Hickman plays the Cook role in most ways. He's a patient facilitator. He comes off the bench. He kind of calms things down. He he runs the offense smoothly. He looks for his shot well. He's efficient. All these things that Aaron Cook was. But Salas is much more the energy guy. And Cook sometimes came in and just brought that energy, like you mentioned. He he would get steals. He would get transition buckets. He threw down some nice dunks. Like He, he could come in and bring the heat in a way that Hickman is capable of doing, but Salas does more. <laughs> like the the dunk the steal and dunk that Hunter Salas had a few games ago was reminiscent of Aaron Cook doing the same thing against San Diego last year. I mean, you put those videos side by side, it looks the same. So the easy answer to this question is that Hickman and Salas kind of combine to play the Aaron Cook role in a lot of ways. They have similar skills in some ways to Aaron Cook. He was a little bit more complete, which is what you'd expect from a grad transfer. He could do more of what Hickman can do on offense and more of what Salas can do on defense. Um, And so they kind of have combined to play that role. They have some other guys who are high-energy guys. Julian Strother is a high-energy guy, even though he starts with Sear Bolton, is obviously a high-energy guy, great at getting out in transition, super quick, similar to Aaron Cook, although he starts as well. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag of players who kind of fit that role, but the Zags have a lot of energy guys coming off the bench. Uh, and I think Salas and Hickman are, are obviously the, the most notable players replacing Cook uh, on this roster. All right, two segments down. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions. But first, I want to tell you all about On Location. Let's talk for a minute about kicking things up a notch for the big game, the grand stage, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away and on location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score a -a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package to the big game. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with college stars turned NFL legends Troy Aikman, Marcus Allen, Tim Brown, and more, plus accommodations at five-star LA hotels and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com slash sb 56 for more information, or search, search Super Bowl on location. That's onlocationexp.com slash SB56, or search Super Bowl on location. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bilbar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BiltBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. This first one comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, I recently listened to a podcast where they had Chet going number four in the NBA draft. 
For reference, the three who went before him were Smith, Ivy, and Bancaro. What is your stance on Chet possibly going fourth, and what would Chet need to do to get back to be the consensus number one pick? So I'm not sure Chet was ever the consensus number one pick. Uh, that was often Bancaro. Uh, Chet needs to show more offensive versatility. Uh, that's the biggest thing that he needs to do. I think there's still, I, I don't think he ever gets back to being the consensus number one pick. I think Bancaro is likely going to be that guy. Jaden Ivey, obviously, outstanding player at Purdue. So it's it's probably going to be one of those two guys. Chet is probably going to settle in around three, four. Um, but if he shows, if he shoots like, let's say, 37% from three from the rest for the rest of the season, if he flashes more of a mid-range game, more of that Dirk Nowitzki turn fade shot, we, we, we saw a lot of that in high school from him. We've seen it in glimpses uh, this year, but we haven't seen a ton of that. I think he's capable of it. I want to be clear. I don't think it's not in his bag. He just hasn't really done it yet. Defensively, he I mean, he can improve a little bit. Nobody's perfect, but he he's done it. He's, he's been at, as advertised on the defensive end of the floor. Offensively, more outside shooting, more of a mid-range game. Um, less, most of his scoring has come from dunks, which we knew he was very, very good at that, and he finishes around the rim extremely well. But I'm guessing scouts want to see more of his ability to score away from the basket before they dub him the consensus number one pick, or at least right in that conversation with Bancaro. This next question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, it might be fun to take a look at the Zags who transferred Ballo, Cook, Zakharov to get updates on how they are doing. Once a Zag, always a Zag. Yes, you know that I believe in that. Uh, I think... You know, I, I'm, I'm never mad when players transfer. I don't think we should be. Um, obviously, if they, like, you know, trash the school or whatever, I think that's a little bit different. But, you know, I'm happy for all of these guys. Uh, we're seeing quite a bit of success for them. Obviously, Balo is on the one of the best teams in the country. Tommy Lloyd's team, he followed him to Arizona uh, to be with the Wildcats. He's not starting for Arizona right now, but he's playing 13 minutes per game. He's averaging 6.5 points, 5 boards, uh, shooting 57% from the field, uh, 73% from the free throw line, which is really nice for him. Uh, it's been great to see him have to have this success. You know, we knew he could be really good. Uh, there wasn't a lot of room for him on Gonzaga's roster last year, so of course, uh, it's not shocking to see him transfer, especially when they when they knew they were going to bring in a player of the caliber of Chad Holmgren. So I'm happy to see him having that success. Cook, it was a bit more surprising that he transferred. Uh, I thought he was going to graduate, and I thought he was going to go uh, potentially try to play overseas uh, to start his professional career, but instead he decided to transfer. Went to Georgia to join the SEC. He's been really good. For the Bulldogs over there, he started eight games for them, playing 33 minutes per night, so much more like he did at Southern Illinois. Obviously, he's played over 30 minutes per game in four of the last five seasons. The only year he did not was at Gonzaga, where he only played 14 minutes per night. For Georgia, he's averaging 11.6.8 assists per game, shooting a career-high 37, excuse me, not a career-high, but 37.5% from three, really having a nice season. Uh, over there uh, for Georgia. And then Zakharov, uh, I don't know the exact status here, but he started the season out with Cal Baptist. Obviously, he played in four games for them, was playing 10 minutes per night, but not starting. Only averaged 1.3 points, really wasn't shooting well, only shooting 20% from the field. Uh, and then he hasn't played since uh, about a month. Uh, he's not listed on Cal Baptist roster anymore if you go to the Cal Baptist uh, team roster on the website. He's no longer there. I did some more digging I don't have a conclusive answer for you. It appears that he is no longer playing college basketball. I don't know whether that means that he has opted to return home to Russia and start his professional career there, if he is just taking the semester off, if he is looking to transfer. I don't know. Uh, if I find any more information out, I will talk about it because I do like to track former Zags and see how they're doing. But this is disappointing. I kind of thought Zakharov would have a pretty big role uh, with Cal Baptist, but uh, clearly that was not the case. All right, next question 
comes from Christian via Gmail. Another one, he says, it feels like our Zags in the NBA are either on the wrong team or injured. I would love to see Sabonis go to the Warriors or your Blazers. I would also like Corey Kispert to find a better spot too. I know you mentioned that next year things will change with the Wizards roster and you believe Corey will get more playing time next season. Yeah, so I don't think Corey's going to get traded this year. I don't think the Wizards are going to give up on a guy they drafted 15th overall who's not playing very much. Yeah, he hasn't shot the ball super well, but it's not like he's played terrible. It's not like he's a clubhouse cancer. There's not any compelling reason for Washington to give up on him unless they really just don't like what they've seen out of him, which would be surprising considering he's... They haven't seen enough of him, in my mind, to make that kind of decision. I'm assuming that Washington's going to see what they have in Kyle Kuzma, uh, Montrez Harrell, KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. If they want to keep those guys around long-term, if they're all just kind of one-year stopgap guys, obviously they haven't figured out what the deal is with Rui and how much he's going to play. Uh, There's talk of them making a push for Sabonis, which if they do that, Kispert would likely be involved in that trade, would be my guess. As for Sabonis in general, the next question here comes from Jacob Quarter 2. He says, do you see Sabonis moving teams? If so, where do you think he would rather be? Uh, and do, Or where do you think the best fit is for him? And to add on to that, which team would you want him to go to? Well, I've made it exceptionally clear that I want to see him go to Portland because I am a Portland fan. I was a huge Arvidas Sabonis fan. The fact that DeMontis came to Gonzaga was like a dream come true for me. Getting to see him in a Blazers uniform would be outstanding. I mentioned I don't think it's a great fit for Portland right now. Miles Turner, the other big man that Indiana is shopping, is a better fit, but it would be super, super fun. Golden State, as Christian mentioned, would be awesome. It would be a great fit, but I don't see how it works. I I don't think there's a trade package that's reasonable, that works contractually, that I think can get it done. San Antonio would also be great. Greg Popovich the way that he coaches big men, the way that they utilize Tim Duncan, the way that they utilize LaMarcus Aldridge, is plays up to DeMontis' strength better than I think any team in the country. And so if he ended up in a San Antonio uniform, I think he would realistically challenge for an all-star spot on the West Coast, which is tough to do. He'd potentially challenge for an all-NBA team as well because I think that that fit is just super, super good for him. Washington, as we mentioned before, intriguing as well. Would hurt Rui which is a bummer. It would hurt his playing time significantly. But if if they manage to pull that trade off, certainly without giving up Corey Rui or Joel Iyayi, then you'd have four Zags on the same team. The Washington Zags it would be super, super fun to have that happen. Even though I'm not 100% sold on the fit necessarily, I do think that it would be super fun. All right, slow week in Gonzaga land, but I have a fun show planned for you all tomorrow, and I have guests lined up to talk Texas Tech later this week, so plenty of stuff to check into throughout the week, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, available on YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube if you have not already, and podcast links will be available on Twitter at Locked On Zags, and on my personal Twitter account, which you can follow at ScoreZagsScore. Finally, thank you again for making the show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen to the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. It's hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!